From Noble Robot on East Hennepin Avenue in moderately amused Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy. I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are building assets and plugins and the ink engine. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. <laughs> nice. <Ta-da. laughs> nice. So, everyone this week includes Alina, who's back. Yeah. Wahoo. <laughs> Wahoo. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. Uh, Listeners will remember Alina from our stellar interview episode we had with her last week. Um, But uh, we've kept her here in the clubhouse this whole time uh, to join us again uh, to help us talk about this week's topics. Yeah. um, So I'm going to come at this from the uh, game dev noob perspective. I'm very new to this. So. Uh I'm going to be the one asking the dumb questions. Cool. I mean, that's our default perspective. That's, oh, <laughs> that's great. usually my job. So, well, honestly, we just, ha- we just have you here because we just like having you here. Yeah. But these are actually pretty good topics because mm-hmm. they're things that not a lot of even experienced developers have a ton of experience with. Right. Um, it's going to be pretty interesting. But first. But first. <laughs> important news, everybody. Yes. I'm almost done with Metroid Dread. Oh. So, Alina... <laughs> <laughs> you had a little bit of a time warp when I mentioned this because, like, you have heard the most recent episode that's out, but, like, we recorded that a couple weeks ago. So according <laughs> to the episode that you've heard, I just started it. But here in the Today Times, I'm almost done with it, <laughs> which is weird. But fact, I have over 200 missiles and so many power bombs, I don't even know what to do. I'm just bombing stuff because I can. Yeah. I'm nuking entire... Ecosystems, as is Samus's Barack. That's what she does. <laughs> I will say you haven't gone through the ending yet, but there's a lot of reward of, in, of that variety of blowing things up. So I, you'll be up your alley. I think we, yeah. you know, we do know how Ellen feels about explosions. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So I, I did, I did the thing. Yeah. Um, I haven't really done the thing. I haven't beaten it yet. You almost did the thing. That's our next topic right there. Is that's our, we could finally ooh. talk about the whole game. Yep. Uh, next time. That's literally the episode. Metroid Dread. I'm putting a lot of pressure on you to beat that boss by next time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, okay. first I got to find more missiles. Yeah, yeah you got <laughs> You only have, what, 200? Yeah. Over 200. Over 200? Come on. <laughs> yeah, come on, Steven. <laughs> I, have like I have like 210 or something. You think Ellen was someone who could be satisfied with less than 200 missiles? <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Not a chance. Uh, <laughs> There's no way you can even... And it's just the same thing, and it was just so funny, like... The same thing happened in Metroid or Super Metroid. Like, here I have 215 missiles. How many can you dunk at the net last boss? Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All of them. There's a great feeling in the – it's this power curve that the game has. It does a really good job where in the there's a boss in the, like, the middle of the game where you can now start to feel really comfortable just mashing the missile button. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that itself is a feeling of power of like not having to worry about your inventory anymore. Mm-hmm. Yep. And in order for that to happen, they need to give you a ridiculous amount. Or they need to offer the ability to collect a ridiculous amount. Mm-hmm. So even though it feels kind of unbalanced, like it actually seems like it's a really good – the experience flows really nicely, I think. Missiles, 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 missiles. Um, we're going to put a pin in this until we actually talk about it um, during our next recording session. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, right now Metroid Dread is my treat for waking up. When I wake up, I spend a little bit of time. Oh, that's nice. Rather than, like, going back to sleep because I want to get, like, started with my day, my, my reason for getting started in a day – is to blow stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a dangerous thing to ask any game developer, but Alina, what have you been playing lately? 
that is dangerous. <laughs> um, I have not started Metroid Dread. Actually, so I'm, I'm packing right now and, and moving places, but I found Metroid Dread. My boyfriend left the box at my apartment, and I was, oh. like, so excited, but oh, the cartridge no. wasn't in the box. Oh, I wish jerk. he <laughs> forgot it. But um, latest game I've been playing is Hades. Yes. Hey. And I kind of gave up, and now I'm afraid to like go back because all of that hand-eye coordination skills you learn. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Gotta come back. yeah when yeah. I fell off of that game, I felt like I'm. I felt like I understood I was never gonna go back. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then one more, because uh, everyone keeps telling me to play it. I just started Undertale too. Oh, mm. okay. That's one I know I will like, but I haven't gotten around to it yet. Mm. Ooh. yeah, it's it's like a classic, and yeah. I've never played it. It's supposed to be like heartbreaking and all the right feels that you want to have. In- I, I watched a streamer play it. I mean, it's charming, but I, I, I played... Also, you're an extremely mechanics-focused player, yeah. mm-hmm. and I think that game needs... It holds your attention with some of its meta-ness mm-hmm. and sort of narrative. If the sameness of the gameplay maybe, like, it didn't have enough of variety there to keep you... Yeah, yeah at the, the point where I stopped, the narrative wasn't strong enough for me to want mm. to keep playing it. I, I think am. that the narrative... I think that it is an entertaining, like, narrative. Yeah. So I think that it's worth it for that long, but, like, uh, yeah, I think where I stopped is where it wasn't as interesting for me, and that's in, so it makes sense where I ended. First topic today is mine. Yes, uh, I'm going to talk about building assets and plugins um, because I'm doing that right now. Ooh, cool. So the game I'm working on, which I've talked about a little bit on the show before, I'm building some systems for it, and I've talked about that as well: localization system, save systems, um, and. Um, what I'm doing with those systems is a lot of them actually came over from Widget Satchel, where I built them first for. Um, and they've been rewritten and refactored and everything. But like a lot of it comes from that. And because of that, it's a bunch of code I had to like cram into a new new project. And so a lot of things didn't apply. I had to unweave the very specific there's like a whole namespace in Widget Satchel that's like Widget Satchel thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> and so luckily I could easily identify the things that were Widget Satchel specific because I labeled them as such. So I'm happy I did that. I think what that motivated me to do is to genericize the code. Mm. Is to rather than just unweave the widget title stuff and put in the new game stuff, I was like, well, let's take this out and then make it work for any game. Ah. And so that is kind of what led me sort of haphazardly into essentially making a plugin, um, a, a, an asset that I can then, um, because of the the contract I have with the company that is making this game, um, the work I make is my own that I that I'm licensing towards. So one of the uh, things, um, and it, uh, the team is supporting me on this, is that I'm able to take some of the work that I'm building for this game, and then I can go sell it as a third party asset, which is a nice. really great. That's cool. It's a really cool arrangement that I have uh, for building these things, um, and so I'm in a really for, uh, fortuitous position to do this. And so it's not gonna, not everyone's gonna be in a position where this makes sense for them. But I do want to talk a little bit about all the reasons you might make an asset like this if that's not something you're doing prof- like for your, you know, professionally. Yeah, okay. Um, and then um, the also the sort of utility of having the, a genericized tool that you've built, even if it's only for the game you're working on. Because um, I think there are virtues to that. There are pitfalls, I think, as well. Yeah. Um, but so the, the I think the first is just about motivations, like why you'd want to make your own tools that are that that are that are that you can then use on other things. Yeah, I'm curious myself because I uh, do not have the motivation. <laughs> so one thing you'll find if you talk to a lot of people who do lots of game jams, mm. you will find that they have common libraries and like starter projects. Oh yeah, 
and I'm not one of those people. Like I've, I've, cause I don't, I haven't done enough game jams with enough consistency to be able to be motivated to build that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Sure. Um, but it's a very similar motivation where if on your next project, it's like, why do I need to reinvent this wheel? Not for something that already exists, but for something I've already made. Right. And it, it, you, you'd feel really silly making something you've made already. Yeah. <laughs> right. True. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the reason why you wouldn't want to do it in that situation is that, yes, I'm reinventing the wheel, but like this one has different amount of spokes and it's, it's too different for me to totally bring everything over. I'll just take what I've learned over. Yeah. So that's fine, too. Mm-hmm. But I think it is useful to have that just for yourself. Um, but also it allows you to have kind of a um, – you can sort of separate functionality, right? Um, oh. It, so there's like – in object-oriented programming, there's like this idea of encapsulation. Like a piece of code has a job. It doesn't know about anything else. It just takes inputs and outputs. Oh, my gosh. Right? That's what my brother's always saying. <laughs> that's what – that's the word for it is encapsulation. Encapsulation, right? And so okay. – And that's, that's a philosophy. And yeah. really like people who are dogmatic about it, that's not a correct attitude. Yeah, Charles. But it's a it's – a, <laughs> Sorry. Are we going to have to bring him on again to <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> Please no. I don't want to get wrecked again. <laughs> um so it, I just bring that up as a, a, a philosophical ideological connection. Yeah, yeah. It's a good attitude to have. Mm. I think yeah, you can be really dogmatic about it. Right. If you just need to use this 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 method and and just like share it between two things like don't go crazy trying to separate these things out and then it's just too much infrastructure. Yeah. Um I'm guilty of that, but I don't I'm I'm, no, I'm warning against it. Do, yeah. do as I say, not as I do. Right, right, right. Um, but it is still important to have these things separated out so that your features are not dependent on each other. Mm. Because a lot of times, six months down the road, you're going to make a change to a feature. You're going to make a change to how the player controls. But if that is dependent, like if you're tracking like uh, 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 stats, right? How often does the player jump? You're keeping track of that for analytics, for achievements, for mischief. any components in the game. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. You have a mischief system in your game. Mm. Um, that's great. In fact, mischief is a widget satchel library. <laughs> <Right>? Yes. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Which is like basically it's just analytics, but all we used it for was mischief, so it's just called mischief. Right. Um, right. So if you have that system, you can easily put a lot of that code in your player controller. Right, like right. It, it, because mm-hmm. where else is it going to be used? Mm-hmm. It's but then what happens when you want to ch- refactor the way the jump works? Um, yeah. Suddenly you have all these 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 tendrils that are reach into that part of the code that you now need to reposition as well. Yeah. And oh no, what, now the order of execution is different. So I was keeping track of this as the player jumped, but actually I want to keep track of it when the player lands because I don't want. Because sometimes the level will end in the middle of a jump and I don't mm. want to, you know, whatever. There's lots of different reasons why you might want to track things at certain times. Right, right, right. And so you you may find that you have to make more more changes to other systems when you make change to one system. Yeah, that does make sense. And, so, and as a person who refactors a lot mm. and changes my code all the time, um, it's important to me that that doesn't lead me down or like a whole day of changing everything else. Right. Um, and so I've learned that by necessity, basically, because my habits are such that I would get into that trouble if I don't encapsulate my my structures. Yeah. Right. Um, so uh, pulling all that stuff over from Widget Satchel into the new project, it was really interesting because I, I got to analyze exactly how good a job I did of that, which I would say middling. Right. <laughs> because sure. at a certain point, you know, you're not going to be perfect. Yeah. But what was neat about it is that I was then able to immediately solve all those problems of encapsulation mm-hmm. because these were systems that were fully built for Widget Satchel that were going to be used to work and interact with systems that were not yet fully built in this new game. 
Okay. And so what that meant is I was not tied to any of those specific structures. So that meant I had to genericize it. Mm -hmm. And I had to make sure it would cover the cases I needed it to cover. Okay. And so not any in all cases, but the cases I imagined it would cover, but have not yet been built. So I know how the, the systems are designed and how it will interact, but I don't have an API. I can't connect to the yeah. systems in the game. We haven't built them yet. They're still on the Trello board. Right. And so for so that really helped me basically genericize this code. And once I had that, like, well, why shouldn't I just fully genericize it and then turn it into a proper library? Okay. Yeah, hmm. that makes sense. That's a, that sounds like that requires a lot of planning. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around how I would even go about beginning that. So I think... The case I'm saying is essentially it happened as a consequence of my work, right? Right. So it required planning insofar that once I knew I needed to do that, then I could start planning how to do it. Sure. It wasn't so much that I needed to get everything out on a whiteboard. Like, I guess I'm just saying it does, it's not. You didn't have to like pseudocode it before you coded it. Or correct. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And part of that's because I built a lot of this stuff already. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're sort of like architectural decisions, like how I'm designing these systems. Yeah. I made those decisions three years ago. Right. Right. And so um, I can revisit those choices. Like, oh, you know what? That was really a spe- – that design made so much more sense specifically to Widget Satchel. Yeah. It's not going to make sense here. So I'm going to just reuse some of this code, but I'm going to design – I'm going to redesign a little bit. Other times it's like, wow, I really made the right choices there. I'm <laughs> glad it's going to work in this game, which is of a totally different genre. Mm-hmm. And so it's a good, actually quite a good test of that. It's a good – so there's lots of inbuilt advantages that I have in my particular instance where the two games that uh, – the, what it was built for, what it's being taken to are so wild different that 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 if the code can work for both then i can feel really confident that it's pretty generic um like you know i had enough of the attitude going in that it was pretty easy to think things that were um uh, stuck to the way widget satchel did it yeah it was easy enough to untangle it it's not going to be true for every library you write you may find that you have to rewrite it and just take the lessons you learned and not the code this is so me spelling all this out is kind of important to me because it's not telling people like, hey, reuse that thing you made. Yeah. <laughs> because that's not always going to be the right choice. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to identify when you can do that. And and, yeah. and as there's, you know, we'll get into the details as to what it takes and, and what what it takes on top of just moving it to a new project versus making it generic and then selling it. And we'll get into that a little bit. But I do want to talk a little bit about like um, just with you guys and experiences like even outside of like code structures, but like reusing, uh, you know, Google Doc templates and stuff like that, like that as, a, as an idea of like how to be efficient doing something you've done before. Like what are, you, what are your habits for doing that? Or is it something you just sort of like muddle through and make it make work? Um, my immediate thought is I, I copy paste the saving and loading thing that I did for Treasure Stack mm-hmm. in the whatever project I'm working on. Right. I'm pretty sure some of the code in Widget Satchel is based off of that script, isn't it? Because <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just, I don't know, it's useful. Like, I did all of that thinking before. I don't want to have to do it again. Yeah. So just copy-paste it. Yeah. And a lot, not all of that stuff works So or works for whatever I'm working on. So, like, I have to delete the stuff that's not relevant. Yeah. Um, but Some of it's boilerplate. And then you just put in the things that are specific to this game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, and some of it like only worked for Treasure Stack and will not work for this because yeah. maybe the game's not coming out on Xbox or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, you got to get rid of that stuff. But mm-hmm. um, I do remember that because when when we were doing saving and loading on Switch, mm-hmm. that's where you, that's the code you're talking about. I think that, that ends yeah, up in that's satchel. I yeah. learned a lot from that, and and you built that from examples. And then you yeah so I, and you sort of like finalized it yep. and then I used that as a model for the for the yes, the, that's the, what, the switch yeah, stuff that's yeah. what it was mm-hmm. yeah so that's just valuable because then you don't like I don't know 
I, I want to use my brain for other stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a lot of what it is. I mean, like, not being much of a coder, well, I'm going to say yet. Check back in like a year. Yeah. yeah. After I finish Metroid Dread and all that. <laughs> um, I mean, she eventually did, folks. So anything is possible. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's it's about brain power. Yeah. It's about saving your brain power so that you can focus on new problems, right? Yeah. So when when I'm reusing templates, a lot of what I do is I, you know, the, the most difficult part of my work, I think, is having conversations with people who have a lot of sway in big organizations but don't have any or much experience in this space mm-hmm. of like creating interactivity with a purpose playful playful interactivity with a purpose mm-hmm. right um you have to like speak with authority from you know your knowledge base and your experience um but also respect that they have authority in their domain and you have to really create a, a fruitful conversation back and forth to make sure that the right ideas get surfaced in the right way so that you get the, you know, expectations aren't like running amok and that you are setting those expectations correctly, but like you're creating the right kind of dialogue and you're yeah. creating a kind of like a, a space where you mutually own the solution that you're going to create together because it really is a partnership. Um, and so there's a that, you know, like I want my I want my attention on that conversation and on like the relationship development that's happening in that dialogue mm-hmm. and the idea that the ideas that are being generated that means i don't want to have to spend my brain power on the structure of the conversation or the types of questions that i need to come up with so a lot of the templates i create are like canvases you know like yeah. um like there's one canvas i created that has like a quick couple grids about interactivity and how you can break it down into a, like a couple different things and it includes the MDA framework and and then in each block it has like a couple starter questions that I can ask to get at the root of that part of the analysis that I need to do mm-hmm. and there are bazillion lists out there that are like this you can look up like to get questions that you can ask for analysis and the, there you never need to have all of them on hand because what you really need to do is just get the conversation rolling in the right direction right but when you've been talking to someone about something like topic A for a while and then you know that you need to pivot to topic B so that you get all the information that you need to do the design right but your brain's been on topic A and you're also thinking about like oh this person's the CEO of big corp X wow you don't remember that you're supposed to ask like okay so are people going to do this with a mouse or on mobile (laughs) like and that's kind of an extreme example, but like I'd write those things down so that I don't have to use that brain power. And then I yeah. make sure that I hit, I, I know if I'm using that template that I will get what I need every time mm-hmm. because I'm not relying on my memory to do it. I'm relying on the template. Yeah. Yeah. And so building those templates, doing that work is frustrating because that's not the actual work of doing the thing you're doing. So you have right. to, And so hopefully it saves you time later, but sometimes you just need to devote time to it. Now, of course, the depending on what you need those templates for, sometimes you can get assets or get yeah. templates for that. So yep, that's yep. certainly how a lot of us as, as game developers start. We're like, well, we need to, I'm not going to build a whole input system. I will just yep. get rewired, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Alina, we talked to you last week about mm-hmm. Playmaker. And so that's one of those things where I suspect, and I want to hear your perspective on this, when you have these these uh, these assets, these and not just Playmaker, but other tools or actions in in, in Playmaker, mm-hmm. um, that separates out the functions that you that are that are sort of infrastructure for the application versus the 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 code you write and the the structures you build that are that is specific to your game. And is that helpful, or do you find that they interact that they sort of blend too much, or or like I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. 
Yeah. Um, so I think that's how I went from playmaker and starting getting more into the C sharp scripting side was I did not fully understand how some of these actions worked and or wanted to tweak something, but mm-hmm. it wasn't exposed because um, Playmaker offers a really nice UI with all the knobs you can turn to kind of customize your action. But mm-hmm. if it wasn't designed that way, then that's when I actually had to open it and yeah. like I actually custom customize those like custom actions I got from the community. And so, yeah, I, I'm really interested in this topic, though. I'm actually just starting to write a mobile push notifications thing and that definitely needs to be uh something that's like i don't know reusable for future projects for my future mobile games so yeah like what are kind of the best ways to go about it or how do you think about what to expose what not to expose well i will answer that question but i i'm interested in you describing um the sort of custom actions that you're creating because that is you could either decide that as this is customized for your game, but also that custom action you could package up, right? And that, yes. that's its own thing. You, I mean, you could you can share that in the community yes. in any way you want, whether it's commercial or or, or you know open source, or whatever. Um, but that's that's so that's essentially the same thing as building your own tools, right? Um, and not and not tying it specifically to your game necessarily. Mm-hmm. Right, like, uh, and maybe Playmaker offers you a good uh, environment for that because it's probably hard to to make it too specific to your game when you're modifying an action like that. Is that correct? Yeah, that that's correct. So, um, and a, a lot of yeah, so a lot of the time, like the community does a really good job to make these actions as simple as possible, mm-hmm. um, and tr- attempts at documentation or at <laughs> least a bunch of supporting forum posts explaining on how to use the action. And so, yeah, you can like kind of open it. And the really nice thing is you can just open any action. All the C sharp is exposed mm-hmm. and and whatever that person um, wrote. So that's yeah. good. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's an interesting part that like. Like uh, on the Unity asset story, you'll see one of the advantages people will put in a bullet point is source code is viewable. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, that's so helpful. Yeah, because there are a lot of a lot of uh, tools that I use that are that come as compiled DLLs, mm-hmm. um, and you get access to the API references, but you don't oh. actually get to see the code. Yeah, and there there are reasons for that. It's yeah. it's a closed source piece of software, and mm-hmm. that's perfectly fair. Um, but a lot of times, and I think it's a pretty common attitude, it's becoming a common attitude, is if you paid for a license to use this, I will show you how it works yeah. and trust that you won't share it or copy it or whatever. Well, and I, I mean, that's valuable. Just like if the tool is sometimes frustrating in certain cases, you know you know how to, you know what it's doing and so you can work with it. Yes. Instead and of I working have, around it. And mm-hmm. especially older tools that are no longer compatible with the current version of Unity, mm-hmm. they still have utility if you can dig in and tweak them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I've done that quite a lot. Yeah. Um, which is, there's a whole like code maintenance, code uh, cleanliness bit about that where you like, you, you essentially you're hacking a piece of code mm-hmm. but then what happens if then eventually they, you know, suddenly there is an update for it? Then yep. Do you, that's a whole separate topic really. Yeah. But Alina, you're just asking like, what is the sort of best way to go about it and mm-hmm. it is um very much what you're describing these actions from these communities which is that it is as simple as possible as encapsulated as possible so i'll just use that phrase again which is this it, it only does what it needs to do so one of the interesting things about the work i'm doing um bringing all this code over is i am separating it not just from where it came from but from each other there's a, a library for um controller rumble that I wrote for Widget Satchel to incorporate the sort of linear actuator motor from the switch. So I would only, we'd just have to say, you know, rumble dot, you know, 
tough, you know, with a, 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 a I don't know exactly what the API we wrote for it, but, <laughs> but basically then it would go to that thing and say, am I on Switch? Yeah. Then I'm going to use this code because, or if I'm on Xbox or, or PlayStation, because anyone who's done Rumble know that the PlayStation controller and Xbox controllers rumble at a different rate mm. when you feed them the same value. Yeah. Cool. So, because they're physical devices. And yeah. so, yeah. you know, the Sony and Microsoft don't need to coordinate. They, maybe they should, but <laughs> there's no reason to expect them to. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, you put a type of Rumble and you just apply that same value to the Switch, which you can do. You can just feed it values. People who are familiar with it know how different the rumble is on that controller. Yeah. But essentially, I don't want to have to calculate that for every action that is rumble because then what that, that motivates me to use less of it in the game. Yeah. I put all of that logic ahead of time. Yeah. Um, and so, um, but what was interesting about in Widget Satchel, that also interacted with the settings of the game. So it had to say like, well, is rumble on? Like, is the setting for rumble on? Well, then rumble. If not, don't. Well, I couldn't do that when I'm genericizing this as a library mm-hmm. because I don't know where settings are stored or how that works. Right. And if I want to make that its own thing, then how do I determine that? I need to, so I need to have a way to interface with that. And so that's like the simplest example. But it's also true for like, so the, the mischief library, which was tracking all the player's actions, was definitely uh, tied to the checkpoint system to right. save those actions to disk. And so those had to be torn apart. Um, or rather, they didn't really have to, but I didn't want them to be one system. Yeah. And so, so part of my motivation is that I want each of these com- components to be themselves completely encapsulated. And they'll work together if you use them together, but I don't want to require that they have to. Mm-hmm. And so that is interesting because then what it does is it, on the new project, it it further lets me um, put game-specific code in the game code. by Not just by pulling these things apart from the game code, but from each other. And so that's that, I think, has been very useful when we do develop these features, is to just interact with the library instead of write into the library, if that makes sense. Yeah, okay. Uh, philosophically, it's been valuable. But then practically, and this is the part we'll get to now, yeah. practically, I got these libraries. I'm going to sell them. Yeah. And um, I'm- Get pro- money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'll make source code available. <laughs> for, yeah. What a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> but what's interesting is that there are certain things that you do use that you can't pull apart, right? So a lot of things in my localization library rely on serialized dictionaries, which if anyone who's done a Unity project- you really want to serialize your dictionaries, and there's like it's not something Unity does. Mm, um, yeah, uh, I don't know. What if that you don't know what that is, it's not important so that you glad know. You asked. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's like a thing that it's a very common problem people have when they make games is like a, a dictionary is just a a, a key a list of key values, right? So mm-hmm. you want to you want to expose those into the inspector. And but they can't be serialized to disks, so yeah. uh, you can't see them in the inspector. You can only hard code them. So uh, that's more explanation than you need, frankly, because really the, the point is is a lot of people deal with it. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's, obno- it's obnoxious. It's obnoxious. Every and game common. project, almost every game project, either finds a way to not bother with it, or they find a way around it uh, mm-hmm. by by having a serialized dictionary library. And so my localization system is dependent on on uh, on that yeah. existing. And so I have one a, a piece of open source code that that I've uh, adapted, but I'm not going to put that in the library because then if someone downloads that asset and then another asset of mine that also needs it, I have two copies of that code, right. which is like fine in terms of having two copies on disk. I don't care about that. Mm. Or even two copies compiled into that person's game. Not really a problem. Mm. The real problem is that suddenly you get namespace collisions. Yep. You, get, you get errors in Unity. Right. It says like, hey, there's already a thing called this. And so do I... Do dummy? I ch- do I ch- <laughs> 
do I change its name for each one of those libraries? Like mm. that's ridiculous. Mm. So there are ways to structure these things. So very frequently, so this is very Unity specific now, but I okay. think a lot of this was the rest of this, this part is going to be. When you are, if you download an, an asset from the an asset store, sometimes it will be inside of a folder for the, the company that made it. Yeah. And sometimes you're like, oh, that's branding. But actually the reason is, is because sometimes you also include like a common folder. So in the case, the way it's structured for mine, all of my yeah. assets are Noble blank, right? Yeah. That's my naming convention. Mm -hmm. So Noble Robot is my company, and that's going to be the, the folder that you could download that all of these assets will go into. And then there will be Noble Local, Noble Rumble, you know, Noble Save, all the different uh, libraries. But every one you download will also include another folder called Common. And that's where I put all the, 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 the code that's common to each of the libraries. Oh, oh and so, so what happens <laughs> is that when you download one and you download the second one, yeah. it's going to just put it in the same place. Mm. I mean, and you, or you don't have to download it again. Um, cool. And so what's, what's nice about that is there's enough flexibility. And that is essentially how libraries work in your own code base, right? Is you, you have things that are dependent on each other. And so extending that to a, a plugin system is sort of necessary so you don't, again, you don't need to reinvent the wheel like right. all the time. Right. Um, and so that brings me to the other thing, which is actually enforcing the encapsulation between these things, which you don't have to do this, but there's a thing in, in Unity uh, called assembly definitions. Mm. So um, this is a minor technical thing I want to sort of end this on because it's, it's, it's an interesting sort of uh, uh, thing that you'll encounter in terms of like best practices for making this stuff. If you ever worked on a Unity game and you make one change to a piece of code, click back to Unity, and then you got to wait for everything to recompile, yep. mm -hmm. right? It takes longer and longer the longer you work on your game. Yeah. You're a year and a half into your game production. Suddenly, it's taking a minute yeah. to, to, for Unity to, to, to be responsive again. So a lot of game developers, they take that and they go, okay, well, what I need to do then is I need to make all of my va variables public so I can edit them in the inspector, which is like fine, but it's kind of not the best practice. Serialize field. <laughs> right. <laughs> Use that instead. <laughs> So uh, if you want to do tweaks or whatever. Yeah. But really, the best way to do it is to break up your code into different assemblies. Mm. And those are compiled DLLs. So um, or on, on different uh, uh, compiled binaries on different platforms. Dual language learners. <laughs> a dynamic linked library. That makes more sense. And so what it is is so when you, when you, when you have a closed source piece of, uh, of code, you'll get it as a DLL, right? Yeah. Uh, on Windows anyway. Right. right and right. what that means is that's just um, – that is essentially a – uh, it's just a compiled version of your code. So that code that's in there can't be dependent on anything outside of it because it has no idea it exists, right? And so that's that's essentially encapsulation. So um, that's that's nice for when you're, you have plugins, but you can do that with your own code as well. And what that means is when you change a piece of code in the, your text editor and you go back to Unity, it's only going to recompile the assembly that it's part of. So if you have a really big project, you can break it up into different assemblies. And so, okay, this controls the you know all of the the the, the player uh, controller, whatever, however you want to categorize it. Controls it's like there's 50 scripts in this assembly, you know, which is a lot maybe. Um, but then um, you know that none of the other scripts need like you don't need to have your main menu uh, scripts interact with the player, the enemy controller script. They're just never going to talk to each other. Right, yeah. So why are they part of the same DLL? So you'll yeah. see in a Unity project, you'll see, like, I think it's just called, like, a common um, a DLL, which is just um, all of your all of your code as a DLL. Mm -hmm. So it's important to know about that because when you're making these third-party libraries, it's, it's very helpful to not include your library code in the, the user's code base because then it has to recompile that every time too. Right. And so your library can be re 
and that also that means it puts more onus on you to be extremely efficient and not put any wasteful code in there. Yeah. But okay. if you have your own assembly, then you can kind of put whatever you want in there <laughs> because it only needs to change when the code changes, which is never. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. Um, so you can ship your, your plugin as a DLL and then it's closed source. Yeah. Um, but if you are including your, your source code, you should still include assembly definitions. And we'll put some links in the show notes as to how to get started with how to actually do it. Um, but that's outside. I'm not going to describe that here because it's like tedious and you just learn it once, write it down how to do it somewhere. But it's helpful. But then what it does actually is it really enforces that encapsulation. Hmm. It becomes impossible possible for these things to talk to each other. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things you can do is, so that common folder I was talking about for all of my libraries, yep. that has its own assembly definition. That's just the common assembly for all my plugins. And that is a dependency for all the other ones. So every uh, every uh, assembly definition you have is dependent on the Unity engine uh, uh, library. Mm-hmm. So all of your code can can access the Unity API. Yeah. But let's say you have, but if you have a plugin, like you're using TextMesh Pro or Rewired or something, if you use that, in your your plugins, you would you'll just forget that not everyone has downloaded Rewired. Right. And so it's important to have so one thing you can do is you can actually depend on certain packages and then the user knows they have to have those. Yeah. Okay. Right? So TextMesh Pro is a good one because it doesn't come with Unity, but it's free with Unity. It's, mm-hmm. it's a Unity, you know, they, they bought it years ago. Yep. And so you can make that a dependency. And I have uh, on some of my libraries because I know people can just get it. Yeah. But um, but if I didn't if I didn't reference that at all, then there would just be a bunch of errors. There would be no way to tell the user they need to download that. Yeah. So thinking about all of that structure, and that's kind of the point I'm making here at mm-hmm. the end, is thinking about all how all that works really helps you structure your own code. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a good practice to work thinking that way because it's so easy just to just to write what you need to write and it sort of works and it's fine mm-hmm. and then you don't see where it's problematic. Mm-hmm. So we talked last week about my preference for static, uh, uh, di- uh, statically typed languages over dynamically typed languages because, um, and that's just my preference and it's not like, you know, people have their own. But yeah. the reason I value that is because it helps the user know where they've made the mistakes it tells them right away, and then they learn. It's so, it's so much faster to learn mm-hmm. when you have more fences around what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so putting up your own fences can really help you work faster. Oh, good point. So, uh, I mean, I would certainly be open to the interpretation that this is all an excuse to, to for me to work on these things because <laughs> it is taking a lot of time and it's quite a lot of fun. Um, but I feel like they are lessons learned, and I think – as someone who did not, I was not traditionally educated as a programmer, this is how I learn programming best practices is by putting these fences around myself mm-hmm. and forcing myself to produce in these ways rather than being able to get away with not learning that stuff. Um, and I find it really valuable. So on top of what you know, what I hope will be the actual practical and material benefits from making these things, uh, not only to the game I'm working on, but to sort of my business going forward, um, I think it's really helped me, you know, become a better programmer. And that's that thing, Ellen, you're always talking about, that sort of constant attitude of learning, right? Yeah. Well, it's interesting what you said about, like, guardrails or fences, because that actually, I mean, you're basically, you're building in feedback systems for your own learning process. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's that rapid feedback when you make a mistake is a really important thing um, for learning. So if you can build your environment in such a way where you make mistakes that aren't like catastrophic mistakes. Yeah. They're just like, okay, I can't go that way. I have to do it this other way. Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting way to make yourself learn how to do it. And then the, the benefit in the long run is that it's make, you're, you're making your work more efficient, right? Because you yeah. can use these things across multiple projects. 
with relatively little effort. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking a lot about like making sure that these are suitable for other people to use. And I think that's that's its own topic. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't think we've run out of time to get into that. I don't kind of don't care if these sell a single copy. Like it's yeah. really been beneficial to me yeah. um, on this project already, but also definitely for future projects. Right. Uh, it's it's exciting to be able to, I'll be able to bring that in mm -hmm. and I will not have to tweak it. Mm -hmm. and nice. I, I cannot wait for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, so we've asked uh, our listeners for a couple of things from time to time. We asked them for their feedback. We asked them to join them on the Discord. We asked them for their money directly for Patreon. <laughs> yes. But, um, you know, one of the things that I think we don't talk enough about, Stephen, is that we also offer a fine product for them to purchase from us. Fine product. A fine, fine product. Fine product. Fine product. <laughs> yes. Fine. You, too, can own your own T-shirt. Nice Games Club T-shirt. It's nice and soft. It's got the logo on it. It's so soft. Alina, you were saying the reason why you listen to us is because our logo is fine, right? Yeah, looking through all the game dev podcasts, they have the best logo of it's all true. time. Woohoo! We put we put a lot of work on that logo, yeah. specifically, Mark. Yeah, I was, I was here to we... make judgment, but like, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the result of a lot of my labor, but also a lot of group uh, thinking, and, yeah. and 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 which really made it better yeah. than just the working on it alone. Yeah, and all that is expressed on the website as part of the the show when you download it. But you know. On a t-shirt. Yeah, you can have it on a t-shirt. So cool. Yeah. Um, I, just to, to clarify, I don't think I was part of a logo thing. That was before my time. Right. Um, but the t-shirt was not before my time. And I have my t-shirt. And it is very soft. In fact, it came through the laundry all washed today. Hey. And it was, you know, like nice and folded. And I was so excited to put it away. Got my stack of laundry. Went to my room. I'm like, oh, it's a nice games club shirt. And I'm like, I'm already dressed. But like, should I wear it tonight for recording? Because then I could just wear the shirt and I was basically looking for an excuse to wear the shirt um, so that yeah. is the exact feeling you will have dear listener if you yourself get this shirt nicegames.club slash shirt cool cool sure. cool cool my topic is the ink engine <laughs> is has nothing to do with my leg <laughs> I just hurt my leg while we were recording a little it's fine Steven's leg hurts I'm getting old <laughs> Um, so I've been using the ink engine um, um, in in my uh, new job, yeah. my day to day job, and it is fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, just like the way that it works is really cool because it's just it's 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 an engine that kind of just uses like regular sentences to do a lot of stuff. Actually, a lot of it is kind of just like back end stuff. It just like takes your how do I describe this well in a way that makes sense? Mm -hmm. It takes a line. And then it just displays the line, or like it gives you a string, and you could display it however you want to display right. it. And this is principally for uh, narrative. Yes, it's principally for narrative. Yes. Interactive fiction. Interactive fiction yeah. mm -hmm. and the like. Um, but yeah, it takes a line, and in in so you 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 call for the line, and it gives you a line, and then the next time you call for the line again using the same function, it'll give you the next line, and you can just keep doing that over and over and over again. Yeah, hmm. you can like save where you are in your state because like ink will handle all of that, um, and you can like get all of the code or all of the lines. In in this in this particular ink file, if you want to do that, there's a li there's a little bit of flexibility in how you do it. There's actually a surprising amount of flexibility in how the engine works, mm -hmm. with it just being like this is a line, this is a line, this is a line mm -hmm. in terms of how it functions. But basically, you sort of step through it. Yes. Almost like it's a bit of basic programming. Yeah, yeah. So like, imagine mm -hmm. a visual novel, um, and you know that that functionality where you know you press you, the person's like, "Hi, my name's Dave." And then you sub press Dave. right. <laughs> yeah, and then the next line would be sub Dave or yeah. some other yeah. incredible first line to a story. Yes. 
<laughs> the mean, dramatic telling of we, Dave. We don't know what we walked in on with Dave. You don't. You don't. It's true. Dave is a mystery. That's that's part of the truck. <laughs> okay, real talk. I want to stop talking about this and start writing this story. <laughs> <laughs> For the next nice game jam. The prompt yeah. will be Dave. <laughs> <laughs> um no, I forgot. <laughs> Sorry. It's fine. No, 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 it's cool. Um, um yeah, so like Ink has that functionality. You know, you get those lines, it's really it's really nice. Yeah. It's really valuable to have that. Um and, and I mean it's a useful tool for people who um um, don't code or haven't coded before, because um, mm. like you just like. And Ink has um, not innate integration. Unity has a plugin that you can use. Um, Mark brought up um, before we started recording that RPG Maker is getting something that's kind of similar to ha- Ink's integration in Unity. Yeah, it's interesting. They're just engines and engines now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but Ink is the king of that. Like there, you can do Ink in many different uh, ways. Yes. Uh, when when I worked on Closed Hands, we used Ink. Uh, as the the narrative engine, but it was inside of an OpenFL code base. Huh? So uh, we're very similar to how you, yeah. the plugin works in Unity, where you just get an exposed API to Ink functionality. Um, but Ink itself has its own like player yes. that can just play Ink files. And I think that's the main draw of it. Really, yeah. is like you just kind of get you just like type up a paragraphs of stuff mm-hmm. and like it can get displayed however you want to display it yeah that's the main draw so, you can use like css to style it yeah and so what is the difference between an engine and an engine and an asset is it that it can run by itself oh, uh helpfully nothing <laughs> just uh-huh. like we were talking last week about the difference between scripting and coding it's kind of just a term described right i yeah. mean would you agree with that i mean i guess i would describe yeah I, the way that you described it alina in that like it like can run its own thing is kind of how i would mm. think of an engine but it's not that's not necessarily a definite defining i, th- I think ink is called an engine because it can exist outside of other it has yes. its own display ability yeah. but but that is gotcha. the engine right and ink is the library yeah 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 right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but again these are all just like fuzzy definitions yes. that are probably not super helpful <laughs> frankly yeah that's true mm-hmm. um but that's a good question because I didn't know that. Oh yeah, for sure. It's <laughs> it's really easy to get once you know a lot of this stuff, or you you've you've smoothed out the ambiguities in your own mind. After right. like what the what the what's this? Yeah, I just made it all up the lines in my head, you know. In terms yeah, and of then like and then you like. just yeah. repeat the ambiguities without, and so it's very helpful to to, yeah. to question them sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of language in a nutshell, really. Yeah, it's That's true. true. It's very true. <laughs> right. Okay. So Unity has when you um, install the Ink plugin, it has an Ink reader um, that like lets you see the lines that like Ink will will have them be displayed effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really simple to just like use ink stuff. There's a, basically you have to get a reference to the ink file you're using, which is the way that you get references in, to ink in Unity anyways is very strange because it's not the actual story file that has like, whoop, that has the uh, the ink like formatted correctly. It's like a JSON that is created by the ink um, plugin and it's like a text asset instead? That's how it worked in, in OpenFL oh, as well. Oh, is it? Is okay. That, uh, .ink is a text file format yeah. that uses the syntax of ink. Yes. But then very frequently, uh, the libraries that integrate it into other systems will just turn that into a JSON file. Okay. Because then JSON can be fast, fastly read. Oh, sure. Um, because okay. there's a... It's, yeah, it is kind of an interesting step that is weirdly sometimes exposed to the developer using it and sometimes hidden away from the developers using it. Yeah. Kind of depends on how robust the, the, the connection, the library that connects yeah. them is. So basically you're like making a file and then it generates another file and that's the thing you use that's logical. Yeah, I mean um, you could also, you could turn an ink file into a scriptable object if you wanted to. 
Like you could turn it into something Unity can read. Yeah. And JSON is just a good candidate for that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so yeah, you, you just take that text asset and then you just like you turn it into a story in the in the code and then say story name dot continue and then you get the next line each time. So it's like really simple. To That's implement. like amazing because <laughs> what I do for dialogue yeah. right now is I just have an array of strings. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, and it's a big array. It's a <laughs> yeah, it gets it gets tedious. Yeah, ink gets used very frequently for really. Uh, narrative dependent games mm. yes. but it's also very commonly used just as a way to do dialog boxes right in any kind of game and that's kind of what we're, we're not using it like our game is heavy narratively heavy but it's not like a you know a tech uh visual novel the game. gameplay is not ink is not giving you gameplay yes. the way sometimes a near visual novel would yes yeah so yeah ink, I, as far as i if i remember correctly ink is free so you might want to look into i'm it. gonna yeah. look at it yeah, yeah. First also i, I would it. not be surprised if there's playmaker integration Ooh, yeah Ooh. <laughs> that's great one thing i will warn though is that sometimes the ink the way that it's displayed in the like the the ink reader that they give you mm-hmm. doesn't it doesn't seem to appear the same way in when you like imp- the way it's implemented in Unity, oh. hmm. at least it doesn't feel like it. Maybe I'm using it wrong. It's like the difference between like Firefox and Chrome, kind of. Oh, <laughs> like yeah, like I-, I think that sometimes the ink files just like aren't reading the lines correctly, or it takes a, specif- a specific like kind of. Um, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure why. I'm still trying to figure out some of the specifics of how ink. Yeah, works. yeah. Just um, it's parsing the text differently. Yeah, it's, yeah exactly. It's yeah. parsing the text differently, um, and it makes things kind of confusing um, to to program. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think that like uh, the the way that we're using it is like the narrative. Uh, our narrative designer gets to like type up you know big old scripts of long scripts sometimes of mm-hmm. of dialogue and things, and we get to and I I have developed a system in which you know, that dialogue is displayed on the screen. We get to, like, she gets to, you know, type all of this scripting and stuff without me having, or script, without me having to, um, you know, basically have those <laughs> giant arrays <laughs> of strings because I've been there too. <laughs> I know. It's not great. And it makes, yeah, it makes things more organized. Like, Ink has its own, like, organization system. The way that things are described are, like, uh, there's, like, knots and... Other terms. <laughs> I don't remember the terms. There's I don't like, have to interact like with the like basic terms. logic, but it's yes. kind of, it's uh, turned into like plain English. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And also allows you to like have choices too. Mm-hmm. Like um, if you, if you, co- or if you uh, format it a certain way, um, your ink file a certain way, which is kind of nice. Right. You can store variables and yes. then those can be checked as it parses through line by line. Yes. And you can check a variable and then you can change it on the fly. Depending on the value of that. Well, variable. not just that, but I mean, like specifically, like you can have choices. Like you'll be like, "What am I gonna have for breakfast today?" Um, it could be eggs or <laughs> a salad. I don't know. And then, like, you can have that displayed a certain way based on yeah. Um, and I also specifically want to talk about like the tag system because this is a lot of the work that I've been doing in in the Ink Engine. Um, and the tag system is really cool, but kind of dangerous because it's all <laughs> strings and strings are oh, st- yeah, string literals, dangerous I stuff. Know. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so like what tags are you you basically put a well, what the kids would call it is a hashtag, but pound symbol mm-hmm. too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um and you put that in front of whatever thing you're trying to do and then uh that's a tag and your code can read that tag and then do specific things with it. So the way that I'm using the tag system right now is effectively I'm using it as a set of stage directions. Um and so the narrative designer can like de- design a cutscene um, like a whole cutscene just using this tag system in their regular dialogue. 
So you're saying that like it was very powerful. That yeah, um, that, so. triggers is a pretty common use case. We used that on closed hands for uh, musical triggers. Mm. So the, the the soundtrack had a sort of a dynamic ebb and flow. It was very atmospheric. Oh, cool. But then when you reached a point in the in the scene where it was like a reveal or something, we yeah. could we could move we could change the volume of stems to make it more dramatic. And it was independent of the musical timing. It was up to the player's timing. Ah. So um, we used the tag system. For yeah. That. Yeah, uh, yeah, um, and yeah. It's like it's just really cool. What the way that I've been doing it is like ink separates tags um, outside of that is like an array of tags. So I just loop through those that array of tags and I check to see what the tags are named. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I think I just use if contains this specific statement, like move left or whatever. Then you know, then you'll you'll read that and you'll go like this character moves left. Yeah. Um, things like that. That's the part where mostly you have to write your own code as to how what to do with it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, um, I think you can do that with any system. You could, I'm sure you could do it in like Playmaker or whatever mm-hmm. else too. It, it gives you a lot of flexibility and power as a result of that. Mm-hmm. But you, just, I, I do want to stress that it's important to make sure that the tags you have are named uniquely. At least if you're going to go with the system I'm doing, where you look for whether or not it contains the thing, because like you could say contain like if if contains pause, do this thing. But if you're like, if AI pause, then both the AI pause and the regular pause tag oh. will both get triggered based yeah, on yeah. how I coded it. <laughs> <laughs> and I ran into that bug. Um, so don't do not do the same thing. Right, right. It's like sometimes you'll have you'll have two enums, but they'll both equal zero. Yeah. On accident, you'll do that. And uh-huh. then you'll find very confused as to why your thing's not working. Yeah, yeah. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Question. So when is it better to use ink versus the array of strings or like a text <laughs> file you like parse in somehow? That's a good question. I think it kind of depends on the extent of text that you want in the game. Um, I think like if you're if you're planning on having a lot of dialogue, a lot of just a lot of text, a lot of data in that text. I think it would be valuable to consider using ink. Yeah, yeah it's it's a way to store strings, yes. which itself is kind of useful, but also it's a way to process logic. Right. So if you if you are having, I mean, actually, even so far as just like step through seven lines of seven instructions. Yeah. That's enough logic to make ink an attractive option. Yeah. But certainly if you if you mm. put up a piece of dialogue or a piece of instruction and you want to give players options. Yeah. Then ink is a really good way into it because you have that that dot choice API to let you decide what to then do with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but if you're not going to be doing that a lot, then it's not really worth might the time. be it might be a little bit. Like yeah, if you're have, only yeah. going to have you're only going to have it for the seven instructions right. or whatever. I'm thinking right now I'm mm-hmm. designing the uh, tutorial. Would mm-hmm. ink be kind of a good thing? It could work for that. Okay. I think yeah. so. Well, the other thing that's nice is, and this is the case of tools of all types, is that when you have the power to do all of that, then you'll find ways to use it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you may find that it's more than you need, but also it gives you the freedom to do more. So that, even if you don't have a specific direct need now, you may find that having that flexibility gives you some utility that you could then take advantage of and that you wouldn't, inca- wouldn't sure. expect right away. Yep. It's tough because then sometimes you end up with this big hulking library that you're not use, using. So there's a risk involved. Right. Um, but it's always a, it's a, it was attractive to, to have those options, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're doing something heavy duty, you probably want to, like I said, consider ink. But like, if it's yeah, if it's just gonna be like small stuff, you might not need. If there's not gonna be a lot of dialogue, or if it's gonna be actually, if it's gonna be a bunch of separate files. That means that's tedious because then you gotta like manage all of the different files, mm-hmm. and it'd probably just be better to either contain those in a in a, a scriptable object because it's just one file instead of two, or or you know find another system to mm-hmm. to handle that. 
Well, Stephen, let me ask you because yes. it's been on my mind a lot lately. Is uh, how, what about localization? <laughs> anything that's very string heavy, mm-hmm. yeah, that comes up, right? Yeah. Um. I mean, so the the continue function just gives you a string, right? So like mm-hmm. you can use that. I, I suppose you could use that string and just translate it based off of like I think the way that the localization localization system worked in like treasure stack is it would just like take the English phrase and that would be the key and it would look for it through a dictionary to determine what um, language so the ink file could just have keys the, instead that, of actual and then the, the, the ink logic. file itself the line that you f- take from it could be the key yeah yeah, and yeah you just take that and then translate it and then use French. any localization system you want yeah that's exactly. interesting so that's but also I suppose you could have all the translations in your ink file and then tag them by language. Yes. Oh, yeah. You could literally just have separate ink files. Actually, that's probably a better way of managing it because then you, I mean, if you have the bandwidth or the the ability to like have an in-house translator who can like help right, you could right. work with, then like you can have them write a script that is similar to the script that in English. Um, and then like it would, it, but it would translate better and like line everything up better, I guess in terms of how it's displayed and stuff, mm-hmm. if you just had two separate ink files for different, or separate ink files for different languages. That's oh, I was idea. thinking more like line by line, you'd have each line tagged with the language. Oh, that would work too. Yeah. I That's mean, a good idea. I, really, it's, I guess it's just work, workflow dependent. Yeah. Like who is going to be doing the translating? Is it a third-party service, in which case you're going to need to give them a spreadsheet? Yeah. Or is it going to be someone in-house? Mm-hmm. Or is it going to be a third-party uh, service or a, a, a contractor who then, then you have somebody on the team to translate to? Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, and how often is it going to change? Yeah. Um, lots of considerations. Uh, that's just always on my mind. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's curious. I, I'm not even sure if we're – Just got to make sure you don't get in a situation where you make localization harder by virtue of the choices you made, yeah. even if you don't plan for it, you know. Yeah. Ink. It's got power. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Something about the pen and the sword. Yeah. And... yeah the, uh, well, what I find most interesting about the, the way you've <laughs> talked about it mm-hmm. is that – Ink is essentially pitched as a a tool for visual novels. Yes. You haven't talked about it in that term when you're not making one. Yeah. But also you haven't talked about it in a way of like, it's visual novels, but. Um, oh, yeah. It yeah. does seem like it really. Ha- I don't, it's because, much more powerful. Yeah. That. And it's not it's not really presented that way when you look into it. Yeah. But it, it very much is more powerful. Right. Right. I think that. Yeah. I think I'm glad that you uh, emphasize that because I think. That- hey, that's our show. For show notes and links on today's topics, go to our website, nicegames.club. Visit us on Twitter at NiceGamesClub, where where NiceDale tweets about nice game dev resources and crystal shaders. We like hearing from you, so tweet back, please, or email us, contact at NiceGames.club. NiceGamesClub is on Patreon. Support the show and get stuff. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. And if you want to keep things more casual, that's cool. Just stop by nicegames.club slash discord and say hello. That's it for this week. Well, it's not quite it. First, we have to thank Alina for sticking with us for another week. Yeah. Thanks for being on the show again. Yeah, thank you so much. And, like, I'm learning so much. And, gosh, what are other things out there that I don't know about that I need to know about? Um, we won't tell you. <laughs> Because well, it's a lot. It's, it's anxiety inducing. L- listen to this show. Oh, yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah. So until then, remember to <laughs> play nice and make nice.
fine. Yeah, oh, can I? Can we take a break? No. Had a cramp. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh no. A cramp. Ow! Ow! Ah. Oh, I hate that. Yeah, it was the worst. And I didn't even stop the episode. But I was like, oh, crap, I got to move. Oh, uh, really, really recontextualized the last 15 minutes. <laughs> 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 Suffering over there.